uh, as good Christians, I mean, some of us here uh, are Christians, some of us are still wondering what we think about Christ, but there's kind of this joke that runs, uh, be- runs around between Christians that you know, every Christian should either watch or read The Lord of the Rings. And the Lord of the Rings is like the Christian version of Harry Potter, and, and it's almost like a prescribed text for Christians. And one of the reasons why Lord of the Rings is so great, it was written by, by a man who loved the Lord, but uh, he, he, in his story, he develops these beautiful uh, characters that we can all look to and really admire as people. And there's one character in particular that I find I can really relate to and identify with. Now, obviously, I know what you're thinking. It's Aragorn, king of Gondor. Uh, But unfortunately, it's not Aragorn. And it's not Gandalf. It's not even the the great Samwise Gamgee. In fact, it's a character that many people don't really want to identify with. It's the little creature Gollum. Now, besides our obvious similarities in appearance, I relate to Gollum because of the internal conflict that is going on within me. See, Gollum was not always an an evil and vile creature controlled by his lust for the ring. In fact, Gollum, we we find in the book, used to be a a creature much like Bilbo Bilbo and Frodo. And uh, his name was Smeagol. He was called Smeagol, and we see that there's this internal struggle that's going on between Smeagol and Gollum throughout the story. One part of him, Smeagol, desires to, you know, he's excited to be around Frodo and Sam. He's excited to to lead them to where they're going. He wants to serve them and and honor them. Then we see his other side, Gollum. He wants to deceive and, and trick and kill them so that he can get his precious ring back. Now, this is not the the perfect parallel to the Christian life, but there are some similarities. We can relate to this idea of an internal struggle. I mean, think about how how often do you know the right thing to do and even maybe desire to do it. But there's there's something within this, this passion or this desire that leads you to sin instead of doing what is right. You know, maybe it is with anger. You know that you shouldn't get angry with your spouse. You don't want to get angry with your spouse. But then they, they do something that just bothers you, and all of a sudden, you flip out at them. Or maybe it's with sexual sin. You tell yourself that you're done with it. You're, you're giving all of that up, walking the narrow path from now on. But then the situation arises. And the temptation comes, and all of a sudden you find yourself back in that same sin that you keep falling into over and over. And so what is happening here? Well, there is a a battle that is raging between your old self and your new self. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. How are we to deal with this problem that Paul calls the old self? You know, still being a part of who we are. How can we live as people who walk more and more each day according to the new self and not the old self? So you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 24. 
We'll see if we can find some answers uh, to these questions that we're asking. Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24, and I'll read God's Word again this morning. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. So I chose to to preach on this passage this New Year's morning because as we look forward to the the New Year, many of us like to make New Year's resolutions. I know my wife and I, uh, we like to sit down, maybe go out for a meal, and we'll we'll talk about all of the different areas of our life uh, where we can be setting goals to to be more to become more like Christ, to become more uh, hospitable, to become uh, more more studying God's Word and being in prayer. And so we will set these goals that we have. And my challenge for you this morning is that you would make this your goal. Putting off the old self and putting on the new self. To make a a conscious effort to fight sin, to, to walk in holiness, and to pursue the path of sanctification even though it's hard. And so I hope with this sermon to answer Really four questions. First, what is the old self? What is the old self? Second, what is the new self? Third, how do we put off the old self as we're commanded to do? And fourth, how do we put on the new self? And so we kind of have the first two questions are theological questions, understanding uh, the nature of man and the nature of the new man. And then the last two questions are practical. What do we do in light of those truths? And so first, what is the old self? What we see in verse 22, Paul describes the old self in this way. He says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So to Paul, we have the old self essentially being the life that we once lived prior to coming to Christ. And he describes what this life looks like, what it all entails in the first few verses. We see in verse 17 and 18, that is someone who is futile in their thinking and darkened in their understanding. So in other words, the the natural and our old self is intellectually fallen. 
See, prior to coming to Christ, our minds and our understanding are darkened. There's a, a shadow that is over them. Now, this isn't to say that people who aren't Christians are not smart. That's not what I'm saying at all. Some of the, the smartest people that I went to university with, some of the smartest professors I have, denied and rejected God. They weren't Christians. And so then what is Paul saying here when he says, that their minds are, are futile and their understanding is darkened. Well, this word futile, it's the same word that Solomon uses in his book Ecclesiastes. And it means, means vanity or purposelessness or, or lacking any sort of lasting substance. Now, I often think of it, this idea of, of purposelessness, like a car. So you can have a, a car and it can have the most beautiful paint job. It could be all polished up. It could have a brand new engine. But if the car has no tires, then the car is useless. It just sits there. It can't accomplish anything. It's futile. It's, it has no purpose because it can't drive. And that is the same with the unbelieving mind. See, we were created to know, glorify, and enjoy God, but the unbeliever does none of these things. You know, they may be smart. They may have brilliant minds, all polished up. But in the end, the Bible says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They have no tires. They've got all of the gifts, but no tires to direct it at purpose. And therefore, it is futile. That's the, the state of the old self. But not only is there an intellectual fallenness, if that's a word? The old self is also morally fallen. I mean, look at the end of verse 18 and 19. It says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of of impurity. You see, the, the, the heart in the Bible isn't in reference to our, our physical organ. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not meaning, you know, uh, your different ventricles and atriums that you have and the, the, the blood vessels that are running in and out of it. It's in reference to our, our spiritual center. You know, our heart is where our, our thoughts, our actions, and our moral reasoning come from. Our heart is really what directs us and forms who we are. But the problem, Paul says, is that our hearts are hardened. They are, they are callous and they are fallen. And since this is the center of who we are and what we do, everything that comes from it is fallen. Think of the heart like a, a well of water. You know, if the well is, is poisoned, everything that's going to come from the well is going to be contaminated because the problem is at the source. And that is true with our heart. It is contaminated with sin, so all that flows from it carries contamination. It's the doctrine of, of total depravity. See, in the old self, all that we do, it's, it's permanently stained before God. That's why in Isaiah he says, all of your, your works, even though they're good, even though they might be in obedience to what you are required to do, because your heart is far from me, they're all like filthy rags. Filthy rags before the Lord. 
And so our heart is, is hard. And, and, and even more than that, we see that this hard heart of sin leads to a giving of ourselves over to sin. You know, Paul says in verse 19 that they have given themselves up to sin. You know, the, the idea that we are consumed by our sin to the point that there's, there's little shame, resistance, or, or barriers to sin anymore. You know, maybe we used to fight it. Maybe we used to say, okay, the, the law that is written on my heart tells me that this is wrong and I should not be doing it. But eventually that fight stops. We, 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 we used to practice those sins in, in private, but now it's taken full control of us and we don't really care what other people think about our sin anymore. And we see this in our society. See, not only does it participate in sin, but our society celebrates sin. I mean, we have a, a month that is dedicated to the celebration of the sin of sodomy and sexual perversion. We slaughter children by the hundreds in the womb progress and women's rights. We kill the old and the mentally ill and we call it health care and mercy. See, Canada has, has given themselves up to its sensuality and sin. And so back to our question, what is the old self? Well, it is the natural state of man. The state of man apart from God, left to his own devices, intellectually and morally fallen. As Paul says in verse 18, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That is the old self. And I'm not standing up here to try and just harp on people who don't believe in God because the truth is, that's exactly where I was. That's exactly where all of us were if we have come to Christ. We were, we were dead in our sins, slaves to our sins, ignorant, blind, hard-hearted in our old self. But by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, not because of anything that I have done, he has, he has brought me, he has brought us out of that. He has saved us from ourselves and our sins. And that leads us to the next thing we're going to look at. What is the new self? Look at verse 20 and 24. But that, so he says all these things. He says, don't walk anymore as the Gentiles do. And then he says, but that is not the way that you have learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul here commands us to, to put off the old self, but we don't just put off the old, old self, we put on the new self. Now we'll get back to, to what putting off the old self looks like, but let's answer first our second question. What is this new self that we are called to put on? Well, the Bible talks about how through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been made new. We've been made new. Many of you have probably memorized this verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17. And so how does God do this? How does, how does God make us fallen, corrupt, hard-hearted, sinful, ignorant, blinded people a new creation? Well, he deals with the problem that we have. And we saw before that our problem is what? That we have a hard heart. You know, the old self was characterized by a hard and fallen heart, a poison well that contaminates all that we do. And so if, if we are going to be changed, a new well needs to be dug. A new well needs to be dug. And that is exactly what God does. Listen to the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk according to my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, God doesn't just fix our hard heart. He removes it and he gives us a new and soft heart now able to turn to the Lord for grace to follow him. And not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, only because God is gracious and merciful. And that is why he deserves all of the glory and we have no reason to boast before the Lord because we did absolutely nothing to earn this heart that God has given us. See, he sends his son, the Lord Jesus, to come and purchase a salvation that we couldn't purchase. You know, when we stand before the Lord, if we are not in Christ, all that we can offer to Christ, all that we can offer to God is our sin and that we have failed and broken his law. Yet because Christ came, lived the perfect life, died in our place, bore the wrath of God. Now, when we stand before the throne on that day, we don't offer our works. We don't offer our sin. We offer the righteousness of God purchased for us in Christ Jesus. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the day of your master because of what Christ has done for us. And Romans 6 says, not only are we united with him in a death like his and that our old self dies with Christ, but we are united with him in a resurrection like his. Christ was raised to life, to new life, and we too are raised to new life by faith in Jesus Christ. And so now, this makes us a new creation. And verse 24 commands us that we are to put on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As Christians, we are, we are commanded. We're not suggested. We're, we're commanded to walk according to the new self, which is a way of righteousness and holiness. Now, you might be thinking, I know I was thinking as I was studying through this passage, wait a second, if my old self was died with Christ, I mean, Romans 6 verse 6 says, we know that the old self was crucified with him, and I've been given this new heart, my old heart has been uh, removed from me, why do I still fall into sin? Why am I still struggling with this battle? And that is because at conversion... We receive our new self, but the process of sanctification is the developing of this new self and identity and heart that we have in Christ. 
That's why Paul, the the same guy, can say that the old self has been crucified and also say in our passage, put off the old self. At conversion, we are liberated from the bondage and the slavery of sin in our old self, but the battle still rages on. And this inner battle between the old and the new self is a battle that we will fight as Christians for the rest of our lives. And it's a battle that we we must not lose. And this leads to our third question of the sermon. How then do we put off the old self? How do, I, how do I say no to my sin? How do I fight these temptations to return to my former way of living? How do I win this battle that I am engaged in? Going back to my introduction, I talked about Smeagol and Gollum. And you might remember in the movie, there's this scene where where Smeagol says to Gollum, go away and never come back. I hate to break it to you, it's not that easy. There's a lot more effort and work that needs to be put in if we are going to put off the old self. And so how do we do that? Well, the answer is, is not easy, but it's simple. We need to kill it. We need to wage an all-out war against the old self. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, put to death what is earthly in you. Paul uses harsh and radical language here. Put to death. It's our old self. It's not satisfied with second place in our lives. He's not going to lay down and just give up. He needs to be killed. As John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so how do we kill the old self? Well, we do this in several ways. First, death by anger. Death by anger. Look down further at verse 26 and 27. I didn't read it this morning, but we see here, uh, as Paul goes on to further describe what putting off the old self looks like and walking in light of the new self, he says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now people often think, I used to think, that this verse means that you shouldn't go to bed angry. So if you had a, a fight or an argument with someone, you should kiss and make up before you go to bed at night. And I agree, that's probably decent marriage advice. I try and do that, but that's, that's not what this passage is teaching. This passage is teaching that we should never stop being angry at our sin. That's why Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. He's not referring to, to sleeping. He's referring to Joshua's long day of fighting in Joshua 10, where the sun does not go down. Do you remember that story? Joshua prays that the day would be lengthened so that he can continue on in victory over his enemies. And as long as the as long as it is daytime, he is, he is fighting and he is winning against the enemies of God. This is what Paul is referring to. He's saying, be angry at your sin and do not stop being angry at your sin. Do not let the sun go down or you won't be victorious. And he gives us the reason why in the very next verse. And give no opportunity to the devil. See, the moment we stop being angry at our sin, 
we give an opportunity to the devil. When we become passive about our sin, when we become complacent about our sin, when sin no longer becomes a a big deal or a tragedy, that is when the devil strikes and the old self emerges. And so I want to ask you, do you hate your sin? Do you hate your sin? Are you angry at your sin? Do you see the pain and the sorrow that it causes and it does? And does that lead you to repentance? The old self will only be killed if we get angry and we stay angry at our sin. That's the first way we kill the old self. Second, we kill the old self via death by starvation. Death by starvation. See, the old self lives and and feasts on temptation. You know, it's in times of temptation when the old self tries to make its appearance. And it's at those moments when the old self and the new self come and collide with one another. And so one way to kill the old self is to starve it from the things on which it feasts. To remove the temptations from our lives. Jesus says very boldly, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to walk this life blind than to be thrown able-bodied into hell. Think about what Jesus is saying there. He is saying that if you are not willing to part with the things that are causing you to sin, you may be comfortable in this life, but it could cost you eternity in hell. And quickly, I want to talk to the men here and perhaps some women. If you are struggling with lust and pornography, I don't care if you think that you need a smartphone, you don't. Is a smartphone worth the destruction of your marriage? Is a smartphone worth destroying and tearing apart your family? Is a smartphone worth possibly spending all of eternity in hell? Jesus says, his words, if it causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. So you all know the sins that you struggle with. You know where the old self is trying to make their way back into your life. If it's envy or or discontentment, it may mean getting rid of of Instagram or Facebook where you're tempted to to look at others' lives and envy what they have. If it's gossip, it may mean never entering into a conversation with people that you know that you will gossip with. If it's idolatry, it may mean selling that car or handing over your finances to someone else or, or taking less hours at work. For all of us, it means avoiding certain places or people in your life that can lead you to sin. And you might think, wow, that is pretty drastic. Well, so is gouging out your eye. And that's the language that Jesus uses. And so I challenge you, what measures are you going to take in 2023 to starve your old self to death? It may be hard. It may require sacrifice. It may make things extremely inconvenient for you but it is worth it. It is worth it. Now you might say to me, I've done all of these things. I've removed the temptations. I've I've gouged out the eye, but I still find a way to fall back to my sin. And that's because removing temptations, though, though helpful, really on its own is not enough. 
Now, I think of it like an attack on a castle. See, one of the greatest defenses for a castle is the moat. You know, the moat slows down the enemy. It makes it more difficult for them to launch an attack, but eventually they find a way across the moat, and you need to be ready to defend the castle walls. See, that is the Christian walk. Removing the temptations is like putting up the moat. It slows down the old self. It gives it less opportunity to attack, but eventually he's going to get through. You're going to be faced with temptation as a Christian, and you need to kill the old self before he invades the castle and pillages the city. And this leads to the the third way that we put to death the old self, and that is death by replacement. Death by replacement. We destroy the old self by replacing it with the new self. And this leads to the fourth and most important question of our sermon, how do we put on the new self? Well, verse 23 tells us, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The problem is with our heart and our minds and our minds here we see need to be renewed and not just once we are converted, but constantly as a way of life. And because this is a spiritual renewal, renewing the spirit of your mind, it can only be done by the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Paul uses similar language in Galatians 5 verse 16. He says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, the Holy Spirit Renewing our minds is the key to walking according to the new self. That's why, that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Jesus, when he talks about the coming of the Spirit, he calls him the helper. And yet so often, what do we do? We completely neglect the work of the Spirit in our lives. We don't ask him for help. We don't pray for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We don't turn to Him in times of trial and temptation. And so it's no wonder that you keep falling back into your sin and to the way of the old self. You're trying to fight a battle that you're unable to win by your own strength. It is only in the strength of the Spirit that we can overcome. Growing up, I used to watch with my parents a game show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If you're not familiar with the show, the contestant is given a trivia question and they have a minute, I think, to answer the question. Then every question they get right, they move one step closer to a million dollars. And each contestant has a certain advantage that they can pause the clock and they can phone a friend and ask them for help with the answer. And so many times people will lose the game because they they get confident and they don't phone a friend when they should. And that is what we do far too often as Christians. We get confident. We underestimate our sin. We try and fight the temptation on our own. And instead of calling the Holy Spirit for help, we try to fight it and we fall. And we fall and we fall and we fall. And it is serious 
Sin is serious. You cannot fight sin on your own. So humble yourselves, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Circling back now to what we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. Maybe you're someone who writes down your New Year's resolutions. Maybe you're someone who doesn't. But we should all make it our effort to put off the old self and to put on the new self. This is the command for all Christians. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Why does Jesus say, take up your cross? Because the cross is an instrument of death. Every single day, we are called to deny ourselves, fight our old nature, take it and crucify it upon the cross, and then follow Jesus. But the beauty is that when we do this, we find and we experience true life. In that very same passage, Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. True life is only found through death. We see that in the cross of Christ. Our life, our eternal life was only possible through the death of Christ. And the same is true for us now as Christians. True life is only found when we daily put to death the old self and we walk in light of the new, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.